Hi everyone and welcome to PA Study Sesh. My name is McKenna Morgan and today we'll be talking upper extremity from clavicle to humeral shaft. Alright everybody, welcome. Welcome to the very first content episode of Physician Assistant Study Session. We're here to get you the information you need to pass your board exam. So a couple of things before we begin ortho. First off, I'm going to try and keep the physical exam findings really brief. For example, with a fracture, a patient is obviously going to have ecchymosis, swelling, pain, may or may not have deformity, etc. Just know that those are symptoms associated with a fracture. I think it's redundant to say that over and over again. So I'm going to present the distinguishing information for you. So that's why those sections will be brief. Save you time. Second thing, the name of the game for treatment with ortho is conservative versus surgery. I will point out when I think there is criteria that you do need to know in determining if a patient is a surgical candidate. But if I don't specify, just assume that I don't think it's within the scope of this exam. In terms of tips for studying ortho as you go along the way, first off, know your anatomy. No, you're not going to have to identify a muscle on the exam. Those days in the anatomy lab are long over. But I do think it's important for you to know your surface anatomy, the relative origin and insertions, as well as relevant neurovasculature, which I will be sure to point out along the way. Second, be very comfortable with the terms abduction, adduction, external rotation, internal rotation, flexion, extension, supination, and pronation. The combination of these two skills makes your body your orthopedic cheat sheet. So you can go into the exam, read a question stem that says this person is having pain at the elbow with supination. And you can palpate your elbow while supinating to find out that, hey, maybe it's an issue with their radial head. Whatever the case may be, I think having those skills are super critical to be able to logic through questions instead of sheer memorization, which will help you do well on your exam. So that's enough of an intro. Again, my goal was to keep those intros brief. So we're going to dive in with a few questions to get your guys' brains going. Question number one. What nerve is at risk for being damaged with a humeral shaft fracture? And this is the radial nerve. Question two, what is a sign of a radial nerve injury? And this is wrist drop. Basically, the patient has difficulty in extending their wrist or even in maintaining a neutral wrist position. Question three. Name two physical exam tests to assess for a rotator cuff tear. And there are three that I'm thinking of. Number one is the empty can. Number two, the drop arm. And three, the liftoff test. So today, as I mentioned, we are covering orthopedics. We're going to be covering the upper extremity. The section on the topic list is titled fractures, dislocations as one item, and then soft tissue injuries. So these items obviously may or may not be on your exam. Just through a ton of practice questions and what I was taught in school and the board review books I'm using, these are the topics I think are most likely or most common or more or less most testable items. So we'll start with a shoulder dislocation since that's directly on the topic list. And most shoulders dislocate anteriorly. They present in an abducted 
externally rotated position and may be described as a squared off shoulder. Now, how do you remember that a shoulder is abducted and externally rotated? Well, a lightsaber. You have to hold your lightsaber in your arm and you need to use your shoulder to get all of those cool wham wham noises. Shoulder, AB, abducted, externally rotated, ER, S-A-B-E-R, lightsaber. Hopefully that's helpful for you guys. Now this is for an anterior. A posterior shoulder dislocation presents the exact opposite, so they're adducted and internally rotated. I think the only thing you need to know about posterior dislocations is that they're usually associated with seizures or electroconvulsive slash ECT therapy. Otherwise, we're just going to keep talking about anteriors from here on out. A patient may also have a sulcus sign, and this is a sulcus near the acromion. And this may occur while the patient is at rest, or otherwise it can be elicited by pulling the arm inferiorly. A specialized test you can do is the apprehension test. So how this is done, this can be done either seated or supine. I was taught to do it supine. It's just what I have practice with. And what the examiner does is they place anterior pressure on the humerus while externally rotating the shoulder. And you're going to be looking at the patient's face because they're going to get very apprehensive. And they feel like it's going to dislocate again. This is in a reduced shoulder at this point. This is coupled with the relocation test. So you're gonna switch your hand position and provide posterior pressure. So this is your hand on their shoulder pushing towards their back. And they're gonna feel a relief of apprehension. So this is often coupled as the apprehension relocation test. On x-ray, you'll want to obtain an axillary view. And on a normal x-ray, there's an overlap between the glenoid and the humeral head. With an anterior displacement, this, the humor head will be anterior and inferior to the glenoid. Also helpful to obtain a Y view, and this helps determine if it's anterior versus posterior, and this is relative to the spine of the scapula. Normally, the humerus is in line with the spine. Something you also may see on x-ray is what's called a hill sax lesion. And this is a groove on the humeral head, and it's essentially a compression fracture. So how to remember this is that there's a lot of H's. So in a hill sax, the humerus hits the glenoid. Humerus hits glenoid hill sax. Great. This is as opposed to a Bankart lesion, which is actually a soft tissue injury. This is the detachment of the anterior inferior labrum from the glenoid. As an aside, this is not to be confused with a slap tear, which is superior labrum anterior to posterior. How do I remember a Bankart lesion? There's a lot of Bs. Labrum, Bankart, Bs. And anterior, inferior, if you think about that, that's kind of the bottom. So Bankart, labrum, bottom. This is detected using an MRI or an MRI arthrogram. And for those of you that are not familiar with what an arthrogram is, basically a contrast dye is injected directly into the joint before the MRI is taken and it allows you to see if there's any labral tears. It can also be detected on a regular MRI just depending on the machine. Also, while you're doing your physical exam, be sure to check the axillary nerve. And the axillary nerve is responsible for pinprick sensation over the deltoid. So with shoulder dislocations, you want an axillary x-ray and check the axillary nerve. Treatment for these guys, you reduce 
put them in a sling, physical therapy, consider surgery for recurrent dislocations. Next topic I think is important are rotator cuff tears, and they are the number one cause of shoulder pain in patients over 40. They can be caused from trauma or from overuse. Often the question stems will say they are doing a lot of overhead activity. Painters seem to be a common one, or people that say, oh, I have trouble getting things out of a cabinet or pulling things off a high shelf. They'll have pain over the anterior and lateral shoulder that will radiate to the deltoid, which just don't get too intimidated by that. If you think about it, that's where the rotator cuff tendons are inserting. This pain will often disrupt their sleep as well, and their passive range of motion will be significantly greater than their active range of motion, which basically means they're weak. And that makes sense. If you have muscle torn, you have less muscle fibers that are useful, so you're going to be weak. With chronic tears, they'll get some atrophy and may lead to arthritis, which could, as a fun fact, aka things you don't need to memorize, is that they can get a condition called rotator cuff arthropathy, which essentially means that they have arthritis because of a deficient rotator cuff, and we use a different type of shoulder replacement called a reverse shoulder replacement for these patients. Easy question. I imagine we've all heard it. What are the four muscles of the rotator cuff? They are your sits muscles, the supraspinatus, infraspinatus, teres minor, and subscapularis. The first three, the sit, is responsible for external rotation and abduction. Remember, that's what shoulders, shoulders are all about, external rotation and abduction. And the subscapularis helps with internal rotation. It's the one exception to the rule. The specialized tests that you can do, one of them is called the empty can test. So imagine you're holding a can, two cans, one in each arm, and you want to turn them upside down so your thumbs are down, the elbows are straight out, and then you're going to put your arms in 45 degrees of abduction. So you don't want to get all that soda on your shoes. And then their patient is going to resist against forward flexion. And this assesses the supraspinatus because it is the first to tear. So your sits muscles is a great acronym because it also is the order in which the muscles tear. The second test is a drop arm test. And this is used to assess for a complete tear. So the examiner passively abducts to 120 degrees and asks the patient to slowly lower their arm. And what will happen is the patient tries and then the arm just drops to their side. Hence the name, great name. Another thing you might see is the patient may also have difficulty with full abduction. So if they were to try and raise it up to 120 degrees, they'll be able to start because that's the job of the deltoid, but the cuff completes abduction they will be unable to fully abduct. And the third specialized test is called the liftoff test. So how this exam goes is the shoulder is internally rotated behind the back, so essentially the dorsal aspect of the hand is on the lumbar spine, and you ask them to push against your resistance. And this is to test the subscapularis, since it's the one that's involved with internal rotation. And it's important here to compare both sides because this motion just kind of tends to get difficult as patients age. Imaging for this, you want to use an MRI, just a normal MRI. Treatment is, again, physical therapy versus surgery. As I mentioned before, just no PT versus surgery for rotator cuffs. Moving on to the next subject is tendonitis and impingement. And these kind of go together. A lot of their symptoms are the same. And essentially, it's just inflammation in this area, and it could be due for, to several reasons. It could be 
the rotator cuff tendons are inflamed. It may be due to subacromial bursitis or AC arthritis. So with those, they may have those last two, they may have point tenderness, which is important. But their main complaint is pain, not weakness, like in a rotator cuff. As a specialized exam, there's the Hawkins test. In this one, the elbow is flexed and the shoulder is passively flexed to 90 degrees. And then the examiner forcefully internally rotates. So you kind of look like you have a little hawk wing. And a positive is that this will induce pain in the patient. And it may also be positive with rotator cuff pathology, so just know that it's not a specific exam. A second specialized exam we can do is the Nears impingement test. And with this one, the thumbs are down, the elbow is fully extended, the examiner stabilizes the scapula and passively flexes the shoulder. So how we remember this is that Nears goes near your ear and a positive will induce pain. And another note is that an impingement may also lead to a chronic rotator cuff tear, just as an aside. And treatment for this, RICE, NSAIDs, injections if it's bursitis, PT, or they can do surgery for AC arthritis. Our next topic are AC injuries or acromioclavicular injuries. And the mechanism of injury for these is a fall onto a tuck shoulder, like a football tackle. And this is divided into a grading system a grade one is a stretch without a separation. These are normal x-rays. And by the way, for most ligaments, a grade one is usually a stretch without separation. A grade two is that the acromioclavicular ligament is ruptured, but the coracoclavicular is intact. So again, that's the AC is ruptured, the CC is intact. With the x-rays, the distal clavicle is above the inferior acromion, but below the superior margin. At grade three, both the AC and the CC are ruptured, and the clavicle is completely above the acromion. Do I think you need to know those exact words? No, but I think it's important for you to be able to recognize an abnormal x-ray. And this grading goes up to six, but it's well beyond the scope of this exam. Treatment again here is ice, rest, NSAIDs, immobilized three to four weeks. We start to consider surgery at grade three, but it's pretty debatable. So conservative treatment for these guys. Next topic are clavicle fractures. And these are a high energy impact. Most clavicles fracture in the middle third. The middle third is the most common location. And this is the number one fracture of children and adolescents. This can occur during childbirth but consider abuse if in a non-newborn less than two years old. The amount of energy that a one-year-old can generate in a fall or its regular activities isn't enough to justify a clavicle fracture. So a bit of a red flag if you see that in a non-newborn under two years old. You're going to diagnose this through an AP radiograph. This is the one time when one view is okay. Treatment for these, for kiddos, conservative, nearly all the time. The amount of displacement that they can tolerate is incredible. And for what that conservative treatment here is a sling or a figure of eight brace. And it kind of looks like a backpack, but without the pack. So it's just the strap. For adults, we're the exact opposite. Basically, unless it is mid-shaft and either aligned or minimally displaced, you're going to refer. So another way to say that is if it's displaced or in the proximal or distal third, you're going to refer. So conservative for minimally displaced 
mid-shaft fractures in adults, refer for everything else. When in doubt, refer it out. Make sense? Hope so. Okay, our next topic is adhesive capsulitis, also called frozen shoulder. And this is a mechanical restriction and chronic pain. The etiology is idiopathic or may also be related to inflammation, such as when you're following an injury, but it's also been shown to be at increased risk with patients with diabetes. And this is characterized by a decreased passive range of motion. This is really important. With a rotator cuff tear, I, the PA, can move you everywhere. With adhesive capsulitis, I can't. You're literally frozen shut. This starts typically with decreased abduction and external rotation. Again, shoulder, abduction, external rotation. A specialized exam test we can do is called the Apley scratch test. And you're going to have the patient reach behind their back and try and see what level their thumb can touch on their spine. And most patients are able to touch about a T8 to a T10. If they're down lower than that, it's considered an abnormal. But again, compare both sides with this exam. Treatment here is physical therapy, lots of physical therapy. And prevention is key by early mobilization following an injury. Okay, our next topic is bicep tendonitis. And this is pain on the anterior shoulder with tenderness along the bicipital groove, which makes sense. That's where the biceps goes. And this is associated with repetitive lifting. Again, that's what the biceps do. They flex and lift things. There are two specialized physical exam tests for this disorder. And the first one is the Jurgensen's test. So here the elbow is flexed. And you're going to supinate the forearm and externally rotate the humerus against resistance. And the second one is called the speeds test. In which case here the arm is extended and fully supinated. The arm is extended and fully supinated and they try and elevate against your resistance and they'll have difficulty with this. This is typically a clinical diagnosis but you may consider a musculoskeletal ultrasound. Generally not necessary. Treatment for this is NSAIDs, rest and physical therapy. Chronic inflammation or as a traumatic injury a biceps tendon can also rupture. And in this case, you'll see what's called a Popeye deformity. So basically, the long head of the biceps has ruptured from its origin. But since the short head is still attached, basically all that muscle just bunches down in the upper arm. So it kind of looks like you have a big Popeye bicep. You can surgically repair this if they're young or a laborer. But if they're not, they're perfectly fine to live without having that reattached. All right, next we're going to talk about scapula fractures very briefly. These are caused by high-energy trauma. They're rare, so just keep in mind to evaluate the surrounding area, but they're treated conservatively. I think that's all that's really important about those. Thoracic outlet syndrome is an idiopathic compression of the brachial plexus, subclavian artery, or subclavian vein. The brachial plexus is most commonly involved, and it's involved in 95% of patients. So here they'll have forearm, arm, or ulnar hand paresthesias. If there's vascular involvement, they'll have swelling or discoloration with arm abduction. This presents most commonly in women 20 to 50. And on physical exam, we can do what's called the ADSON test, A-D-S-O-N. And here the elbow is extended. The arm is abducted to 30 degrees. The PA palpates the radial pulse and you have the patient extend the neck and turn toward the affected side. 
Basically, you're trying to narrow that outlet as much as possible. And they're going to take and hold a deep breath. And a positive is that there is a diminished or absent radial pulse. And of course, compared to the other side, the validity of this test is highly scrutinized. Just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. But for boards, they seem to love anything that has a specific name to it. So there it is for you. This is diagnosed with an MRI, but the treatment is also highly debatable. They often go to PT, so do we really need an MRI? That's a discussion for another day. Okay, two more topics, and that's it. So we have the humeral head fractures, a.k.a. a proximal humerus fracture. These are caused by a fall on an outstretched hand, which I'm from here on out calling a foosh. Uh, in a young person, this needs to be high energy. In elderly, it's usually low energy because they're osteoporotic. This happens in women far greater than men. Again, here we want to evaluate for axillary nerve damage. These fractures are classified using the NEAR classification system. It's a four-part system that describes the fracture based off of location, parts, displacement, and articular involvement. I don't think you really need to know what each part is, but maybe know that NEARS goes with humeral head fractures. Treatment for this, if they're displaced, they're going to get surgery. Fun fact, 60% of shoulder replacements are due to humeral head fractures. All right, our last topic for the day is the humeral shaft fracture. This is also caused by a FUSH or an MVA, so these are a common site for pathologic fractures, such as a bone cyst. Relevant neuroanatomy here is you'll need to evaluate the radial nerve, and this will be indicated by wrist drop. The patient will have wrist drop, and they can't vroom, vroom. That's the motion they're unable to do. Treatment for these is a coaptation splint. It's like a sugar tong, but it's for the upper arm, just so you can visualize that a little bit. And they're going to get referred for cast versus surgery, and that's it. Take-home point. Essentially, if you're going to remember five things from this podcast, here's what I would remember. Number one, shoulders primarily dislocate anteriorly. Number two, adhesive capsulitis has decreased passive range of motion, decreased PROM. Wrist drop equals radial nerve. Vroom, vroom. Number four, tendinitis commonly complains of pain over weakness. And number five, pain with overhead activities equals rotator cuff. All right, guys, I'm going to finish us off with a few other questions. Question one, Hawkins test is used to diagnose what? Impingement. But if you also said tendinitis, that would be fine too. And if you said it's also positive in rotator cuff pathology, I wouldn't say you're wrong but I'm going to use the hated phrase best answer for the answer of impingement. Name the four muscles of the rotator cuff. They're the supraspinatus, infraspinatus, teres minor, substapularis. Which rotator cuff muscle's primary action is different from the other three? And this is the subscapularis. Its action is internal rotation. What is the most common location of a clavicle fracture? The middle third. All right, everybody. That's it. 
we made it through the first episode. I hope you liked it. If you did, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Share it with your friends. Shout it out on social media. I will be putting together a Facebook page so you can go find us there at PA Study Sesh. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, I would love your feedback because, again, this podcast is for you guys. The email is pastudysesh at gmail.com. That's p-a-study-s-e-s-h at gmail.com. I'd also like to thank Lee Rosevere for the use of his songs Curiosity and Tech Toys during the intro, outro, and question sections of our podcast. And next week, we're going to be talking about the rest of the upper extremity from the elbow to the fingers. So I hope you guys have enjoyed and have a wonderful week. Thanks, guys.